Welcome to the Investing for Life podcast, where we apply proven investment principles to the lives of successful business people to help you enrich your own. With your host, Douglas Isles. I'm delighted to be joined today by James Marley. James co-founded LiveWire with his business partner, Tom Mackay, in December 2013. LiveWire is Australia's number one website for expert investment analysis and is read by a quarter of a million investors each month. Their mission is simple. They want to help those investors make more informed investment decisions. So James, thanks for joining the show. It's great to be here, Doug. Thanks for putting me on the other side of the microphone. Well, it's unusual because uh, I've always uh, I've always seen you asking the questions, so it's uh, it's nice to uh, go the other way around. Asking the questions is the easy job. I don't know. I find it quite difficult. <laughs> but let's see how let's see how you go. Um, I, I sort of want to start at the beginning, and I, and I guess um, when we were talking um, before we before recording, you sort of describe a pretty unspectacular or un, uneventful childhood. Maybe maybe we'll just start there. Yeah, I think you know a lot of people um, have more uh, rags to riches style stories than than I do. I grew up in a really stable, loving family. I grew up in Mossman, which right. is you know terrible for you. Yeah, yeah, it's the school of hard knocks of Mossman. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not it's not too bad. But um, you know, my parents were you know uh, were were both really hard workers. Yeah. They came from you know pretty modest backgrounds. Um, my mum became a GP. My dad became a uh, had a corporate career, and which ultimately meant he became he he became a, a company director. I'm in the middle of three boys. We grew up in Mossman. I went to Mossman Primary. Um, I was lucky at that time; it wasn't a really busy suburb, so we spent heaps of time down at the beach, um, sailing, fishing, surfing. Um, my family from Queensland, so holidays would often be, you know, camping trip up up to Brisbane, time on the water, beaches. Like that was that was it, and it was you know a happy household. I get on with my brothers really well. It was a really, you know, pretty straight up and down sort of upbringing. So if I was to, um, you know, the Investing for Life series, we often talk about setbacks and uh, sort of response to setbacks, but it's almost like you you didn't have to deal with anything too too dramatic. What was the worst thing that happened to you? The worst thing that happened? I actually don't have anything imprinted on my memory. Yeah. The one thing I can remember is I, I, I once broke uh, my older brother's uh, model wooden aeroplane that he was, uh, you know, it was like a favorite toy and blamed it on my younger brother. Yeah. And I remember seeing my, my older brother go to town on my younger brother and watch through a window and, and, and you know, because I blamed it on him. So that stuck with me for a while. So maybe the guilt factor was one of the worst things that happened. <laughs> I once threw my brother through a window. So I guess <laughs> you've, you've done okay. So, so um, say a, a normal or a, or, a, or a straightforward childhood, good, good upbringing. Um, where did you go from there? Um, so we, I did schooling in, in, uh, in Sydney. Uh, I went to Sydney Grammar and uh, took a gap year, spent a year over in, in the UK, which was awesome. Um, came back, did four years at Sydney Uni and um, picked up with a mate, bought a Land Cruiser and drove around Australia for four months. And then, um, yeah, I took off. Instead of going into the, the corporate career, um, a bloke that I'd been working with um, at a cafe down at Balmoral came back really tanned from a holiday one time and told me he'd been out catching tuna in the Bay off Mexico. And uh, I said, what were you doing there? He said, I was a, a applying for a job as a hotel manager at this small luxury boutique. And I said, that sounds great. Did you get me a job? And he said, yes. So I walked up the hill and told my parents that I was going to go to Mexico. And I bought a round the world ticket with the intention that I'd spend six months working at this remote hotel. Um, you could only get there by boat on the Pacific coast of Mexico. It's spectacular. It was built by a, a German man um, and a French woman, and it's all handcrafted. 
um, hotel rooms, 18 people, maximum guests, like really, really, um, you know, uh, quite exotic yeah. you know, jungle glamping type thing. So that, that was, that was amazing. So I, I went to Mexico and, and just had such a blast. I fell in love with the place, started learning the language. Um, it's a small fishing village of only 1500 people. All the workers were Mexican. Um, I was driving boats, taking people for tours, walking in the jungle, diving, fishing, cliff jumping, all that sort of good stuff. Um, and I just fell in love with it. So I stayed and I ended up staying for three years and got taken on as the, the assistant manager. And then I ended up running the hotel for a year. Um, so I spent three years in this beautiful part of the world. And in fact, I ended up going back and getting married there. All right. Well, it was a place that left a really big impression on, on me and I have a, a really big soft spot for Mexico. So, so why, why did you come back? Um, you know, when you live in paradise, things are so good. You almost lose touch with reality. And, you know, it's people often ask me that, but I think I, you know, part of it was I came back for my wife that we weren't married then, but I wanted to be with her. Um, she, she wasn't there with you. No, we no. had a, we had a break. Yeah. So, you know, and we, we managed to spark it back up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you kind of, it was almost so perfect that you're a bit detached from reality. Yeah. Um, and I had, a, you know, a, uh, an ambition to, I, I guess I, there was something in there that said it's time to get back to, back to it. Yeah. Um, I arrived back in Sydney. I was just about to turn 27. So I'd had a pretty good run. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of like I just tied a bow on that part of my life and it was a great package. Cool. And uh, at that point, you, you wanted to get into finance? Yeah, I came back. I mean, one of the, you know, you, you talk about adversity. One of the things that I've struggled with is that I've never had a really strong vocational drive. Like I went to Sydney Grammar, a lot of guys came out wanting to be lawyers, fund managers, doctors, yeah. um, and, and were really clear on their pathway. I, I never was. Um, uh, the big influence on me was my dad uh, and I enjoyed talking business with him. Yeah. So I, I was interested, you know, I'd, I'd always have been involved in, in small business. Um, I worked with one of my mates to, he, he opened the first coffee cart before coffee carts were a thing. And I worked with him on that. It was on the corner of Clarence Street. So I'd been involved in small business since, since an early stage. So I, I was interested in business and came back to Sydney. It was the, the back end of the bull market. Things were raging. Macquarie Bank couldn't hire enough people. So I ended up getting a job at Macquarie. It was like they were just, they basically had a vacuum cleaner out on the street trying yeah. to get as many people as they could to, to help them, you know, hoover up, hoover up all the money. As, as, as long as they passed the psych test. That's it. Well, I got through the psych <laughs> test. So I guess, I guess I hadn't gone too tropo in my time in Mexico. <laughs> but yeah, so I got a job at Macquarie um, and I lasted about a year and it was, I, I wanted to get more um, front office and I got one answer from one person that said, yes, you're ready to go. And another person in HR said, you need to do more things. And I was like, this is, this is not, not for me. That, that curiosity of business and, and, um, were you the guy at school making, you know, making a fast buck from, from your mates or from, or from the other students? Or was it more a sort of a bystander at that, at that stage? Yeah. I think when I was young, it was more a, a bystander, but, um, you know, I, I guess with, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much a, a doer. Like I wasn't a great student. It wasn't until the latter years of university that I, I started to do really well. And that was because my, my uh, girlfriend who became my wife was always in the library. She's a great student. So the only way I'd see her was going to the library. But I'm big on experiencing things. Yeah. Like I, I learn through experience and even to this day in the job that I do, like I sit down and see it as one-on-one -on -one tutorials with the fund managers that I interview. So I learn really well through experience um, and that's what business gave me. And I love that, you know, dealing with people, yeah. um, you know, getting into the operation and, and, and doing things that way. So I think that's why small business appeals to me as well because yeah. you can really get your hands on a lot of different 
different things and, and have an impact. Yeah. And speaking to the fund managers must be fascinating for you because you're speaking to people who are generally, if you like, business people themselves, but then they're talking about business. It's almost like business squared. You're, you're, you're spot on. And fund managers are trying to identify good businesses. They see lots of good businesses and they most of them have a, a short list of things that they say, this is these are the things that create successful businesses. And so I'm, I'm listening to them as a, an investor, but I'm more often listening to them as a business owner yes. and running our business through the hurdles and the, and the check boxes that they've got um, and trying to think about our business from that perspective. Yeah. Having spoken to pr probably hundreds of fund managers over the last sort of several years, you know, do you find that you sort of <clears throat> have changed your perspective or, or sort of refined your belief system about either your own business or, or more generally about investing? With investing, I mean, you, you can always learn. I think with me, I'm really settled on my strategy. Yeah. Um, and that's come through meeting so many fund managers and, yes. and all that sort of stuff. I think I've also, and, and these are personal views, got, um, you know, like the whole active, passive, good stock, because bad stock, you know, this, that, the other. I feel like there's an ingredient that can't be measured, which is just like there are certain fund managers that are complete stock frothers. Yeah. They live and breathe. It's all they ever do. And, yeah. and you can kind of say that that person can outperform and they do. Yeah. Um, but from a, from a business perspective, yeah, I think, I think we do. I mean, we, we're, we're really big on the founder led piece. So Tom Mackay, my business partner and I are really active in the business. We're really passionate. We're really engaged. Um, you know, we're big on investing in people. Yeah. We're big on, um, you know, we care a lot about our customers and delivering value, un under delivering, over promising. We invest back into the business yeah. um, to Im to improve that. So these are all things that you hear fund managers talk about. These are the traits of of really great businesses. Yeah. Um, possibly the thing that we haven't had um, recognition for is the size of the addressable market, yeah. um, and that's I think that's something that we we've always felt like would come over time. If you if you build you know if you build the good quality core, you'll you'll be able to open the market, and that has been the case. Today's. Well, I think it's a, it's a fantastic uh, business that you've developed, but I'd actually quite like to go back to the, the sort of more human side of it and just think about yourself and, and Tom and I guess how you how you guys met and what the spark was and, and how it sort of um, yeah. developed over time. No, it's listen, Tom's been, Tom and I have been working together for, I think it's 16 years now. So after that stint at Macquarie, I went and got a job um, for, for a small company called Border and Radio. Yeah. Um, they were basically interviewing uh, listed company CEOs and publishing that was it was before podcasts. Yeah. It was kind of like we we called them audio interviews. It was before podcasting right. was yeah. the term, but that that was what we were doing. And I, I joined Tom joined six months after, and we were both looking after a, a a book of listed companies that we were following. But we were just employed independently, and um, we approached the owners and said we'd like to pull our client pool and form a team. Right. Um, and we said we don't want a salary either. Yeah we'd like to go 100% commission-based. Um, and the idea was there that we could look after, if one of us wanted to go on holiday, we could look after each other, yeah. other's um, you know, clients. And there was an opportunity, they'd been wanting us to take some, you know, a, you know, a bit of a sales commission type thing. And yeah, and we presented, and Tom was the, the mastermind behind it to his credit. Um, and we, 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 we took, we took, we rolled the dice and it worked out really well and it was really motivating and rewarding. And so we worked together for, for five years yeah. doing that. And, you know, it was, it was 
different skill sets, different personalities, but it, it sort of worked out really, really well. And, and what that, is it? What do you each offer? What's the sort of complementary? What, what are you good at? What's he good at? Um, so Tom is, is very he's very disciplined. Yeah. Uh, he's a good planner. Yeah. Um, he thinks through things deeply. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he's quite meticulous about ticking off boxes and executing and, and moving things forward. And so he's been really great at, at, at just keeping things moving forward. He's very resilient. He's very tough. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when things are not going well, and listen, in the early days of, of Livewire, there's lots of stuff. There were lots of hard days. It's a, it's a roller coaster in yeah. the early days. Um, Tom was really good at, at, at just kind of marching through that and pushing forward. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of, I think if Tom hadn't been there doing that, I think, you know, there's a, a chance we wouldn't have made it as far as we did. And so I'd say that's a real a real trait of his. Very determined. Yeah. Um, he's good. He's good. Good salesperson. Like he's. You know, he's he, he's very good like that. I, you know, I, I obviously do a lot of the presenting and the interviewing and that sort of stuff. And I think, um, you know, that I, as I said, you know, the hospitality background, I enjoy meeting people. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm really passionate about investing. Um, so I really enjoy the stories and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think, you know, at, at our core, we're both good with people. Yeah. Um, we're both commercially minded. Yeah. Um, and we have both have really high standards. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, we've been learning and as we go and, and, and trying to refine what we're doing. So, so that jumping off point from sort of collaborating together at Boardroom to setting up Livewire, um, big step. Yeah. Um, what, what sort of, I guess, what, what prompted the, the move? And I guess, can you talk a little bit about that sort of uh, almost like, you know, getting the first customer type thing, that, that very early stage of the business? Yeah, for sure. So the jumping off point was um, obviously... Um, like taking the the dive and 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 pulling the plug, um, we raised a small amount of money from uh, from friends, family, and fools. Yeah. Um, Tom took the leap first, and then I followed shortly after. Um, and we worked out of my my uh, living room yeah. to start off with, and and we worked with a, some developers in the Philippines and launched our first version of website of the website. And uh, we had you know seven a.m. Everyone arrived at my house. We had an intern working for us, and you know we were going to do the big release moment and, and sent it live and just nothing happened. Right. And I remember us walking down a street in Redfern, quietly just sort of ticking over at how little had actually happened. And we called a few people and someone put a post up on Livewire and was the uh, that was the start of it. But we built it from there and, you know, I, I guess, you know, we gave ourselves a long runway. So we were really, you know, we were pretty green in the investment uh, management space when we started. And we didn't try and commercialize it from day one. Right. It was really about build the quality contributor base. So the fund managers try and meet as many of them as possible, yeah. convince them to contribute. Yeah. And we we had this view that if you had the best fund managers sharing um, high quality insights and, and thought leadership, the eyeballs will come and they'll be good quality eyeballs yeah. and the monetization opportunities will will present themselves. And I don't think we issued an invoice until the third year of, of the business operation. So we were really big on building the runway and trying to understand the product, understand the industry, build a good reputation and and, and, meet, and meet some people. And we had lots of people, you know, there were lots of no's because it was a, a foreign concept, the idea of, um, you know, building a place where fund managers would share their, their best ideas. Like, why would I give away my IP? You know, whereas today the whole idea of content marketing is like, you know, people are climbing over themselves to do it. Um, and we also were putting together two industries that were under pressure. If you think about it, at that time, traditional publishing 
there were massive layoffs going on at Fairfax and all that sort of stuff. And um, funds management was, you know, there was the threat of, um, you know, passive investing. That that argument was quite fresh at that time under pressure. So we were putting together a business where there were kind of two industries that were actually having a bit of a, a, a tough run. Yeah. Um, so it didn't seem to make a lot of sense. Now, I think I met Tom around that point. I, I, I think I remember thinking that myself and it seemed like it was hard to sort of say what, why Livewire was going to be any different from any number of platforms that existed at the time for content. So it was hard to say, well, we should add this one and you know, against any other choices. So, so where, where do you think the, the breakthrough came? Where was the, when you suddenly sort of arrived at the top table? What, what do you think it was all yeah, about? Yeah, we think about it that you get your early adopters yeah. and then there's like a, a big chunk of people that get on board. And I, you know, there's a couple of moments in, in our history that were um, that got us to where we are now, and I wouldn't say there's just one moment. There are a couple that built up that helped. Um, Jeff Wilson introduced us to Matthew Kidman yep. from Centennial Asset Management. He um, used to be the the business editor at the Sydney Morning Herald, and um, Matthew has been a great mentor and a supporter of our business. But he started this show called Buy Hold Sell. Yep. Um, we found they'd stopped running it but it was great content. And we did a handshake deal with a person that made that with Matthew, right. a guy called Michael Kozlowski. Yeah. And we took over that channel and, and we asked Matthew if he'd host it for us. And he said, no, yeah. I did a few episodes. He called me, he said, you're terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'll come, I'll come and do, do this. <laughs> I'm going to rescue it. <laughs> but that buy, hold, sell show was fun. Yeah. It was fresh. Yeah. It was different. Um, and it allowed us to meet a lot of fund managers face to face. And once we meet people, they saw we were decent guys, yeah. we were passionate about it. You slowly get a few more supporters to come on board. Yeah. So that was that was a big moment. Yeah. Um, we were raising money at one stage. Yeah. We the, the the bank balance had got pretty low, and we'd been trying to convince Charlie Aitken to publish on the website, right. and he and he he was kind of knowing and no won't do it. Yeah. And then the day we were presenting to some some investors, and he decided to do his first post right at that first time, and. It got picked up in the Sydney Morning Herald at the same time yeah. and we're able to show investors, look, here's Charlie Aitken riding on our platform and yeah. little things like that helped along the way. But I think there was just a point where um, the quality of the contributors, um, big names around the market, there was a concentration on the live wire and people said, this is actually where, where you go. And we put a lot of focus on curation of content, um, you know, and, and so we have a, a criteria that selects the people that can contribute on Livewire and that is, you know, people managing money from the best fund managers in Australia. Then the audience, you know, we track how popular each article is and only the best and the most popular articles go into our morning email that goes out. And so what that curation process does is it's it it really drives up the engagement on that on that email. And that thing got passed around, that note got sent around and that, you know, the way the industry that 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 you operate in, Doug, is people want to know what their peers are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're there, why aren't we there? And so it started to snowball probably in 2018. 18. I think that was about the time um, I think we started to interact and um, remember bringing our uh, CEO, Andrew Clifford, to you in a, at the time, a, an exclusive interview with, with Hamish from Magellan. And um, uh, we, we talked uh, at the time, but what a, what a sort of exciting opportunity that was for you guys. Can you can you sort of recall that, that interview? Yeah, well, it's got a... Um, it was Clash of the Titans, really, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, the, the two big global managers um, and, you know, Magellan had, had been hugely successful uh, as the new, newcomer. Platinum are really well 
respected established brand and i guess there must have been this kind of perception around the market that you know that what would it be like to get those two together that it's combative or whatever it was and that's actually a really important ingredient in content people want to hear both sides see to yeah. both sides and it was fresh it was unexpected getting those two together uh, and as i said to you before it's one of the highlights of my time at livewire was being able to run that interview with the two of them and um you know it's like kind of must watch tv if you're in, in in the space so and it remains i think you said one of the one of the most watched things that you've you've done through the through the time yeah and it's going to it be hard to replicate yeah. um you know I, I think about how would you do that today who would who would you get together it's yeah. it's i don't know if it exists in the in the aussie market at the moment that that that, that could change but um yeah it was and it was compelling because people wanted to say like how are these two going to interact with each other yeah. People saw it as a bit of like a, I don't know, you know, maybe a boxing match of some sort, a yeah. contest, yeah. a duel, who comes out on top. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was really interesting, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to do that interview. Yeah, but I think I think these things are always fascinating as well. I think what's always interesting with with people, um, fund managers have probably more common ground and and bigger differences sort of at the same time than people expect. Like these guys are all, all very very deep thinkers, and it's always fascinating just to see. Uh, two two perspectives together. Um, as you've as you've evolved, um, and the, let's say the dynamism of the business has grown, and and, and obviously subscribers have grown. Be quite interesting to think about your own journey as a person, sort of which which goes along alongside it. So you know, how have you evolved as a person from that sort of you know fresh phrase fresh phrased guy jumping off to to now a sort of mature business leader? What's been the journey? Um. Yeah, I think it's a. I think the first one is first thing I'd say is the journey has been a lot of hours, yeah. um, and I still am. You know, I kind of have to slap myself over the wrist to take myself away from work, yeah. and so, you know, I've, I've completely immersed myself in this thing, yeah. um, and I've I go I go to lots of events, I meet lots of people, yeah. I put a lot of time in, and so my knowledge base has has dramatically changed yeah. from when I started. You know, I said when we started, we were very green. Whereas now I, I feel like I've put so many hours into this thing that yeah. the knowledge base is is good. Um, you know, we we now employ twenty nine people, um, and learning how to manage a team and 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 how to nurture um, you know people within your business, young, hungry, talented people, um, is something that we're getting better at doing. Um, we've employed a a person to head up our people and culture. Yeah. To attract and retain the best talent we can, and, and Tom and I have a, a firm belief that you know we're not, we can't do it ourselves. Like I've got two young kids, yeah. my wife works full time. You know we need energetic, smart, yeah. hungry people to to help us. You know finish this job, yeah. and um and and so learning how to attract, how to hire, how to motivate, how to how to um mentor young people has been a, a big piece. Um, you've become more resilient. You learn how to how to deal with the down days and adverse, adversity better. Um, you know, I I do try to get better. Um, you know, in all aspects of life. Um, as I said, I, th I think ahead of this, uh, you know, I, I have great days where I feel like I'm living close to my, my best my best self. Um, and then I, I have bad habits that I fall back into. Um, but I think the intent is there, moving um, in the right direction. Moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but I think. You know, you become more experienced, and so you see, you can anticipate, um, you know, problems or challenges ahead of time. I think that's one of the things that comes with experience in a, in a particular business, and so you tend to fall into more potholes, or you can help people deal with problems because they do happen. Clients are not always happy, so learning how to own mistakes early, how to 
resolve um, disputes and all that sort of stuff. They're the skills that I think you acquire over time. Yeah. If we look at some of the, the, the you know the biggest companies in the world, the likes of Apple. I mean, they brought their iPhone out in 2007, I think it was from memory. We're now at iPhone 14. Um, you know, your business has been now been going for I think it's nine years. Um, you mentioned buy, hold, sell, but but how do you continue evolving so that you don't become if you like, either complacent or, or the target and you know the next the next guy comes along to sort of out innovate what you're doing. So how, how do you keep things fresh and how do you keep that that mindset in the in the right place? Yeah, innovations, um I think it's it's a tough one because you you know, when you get onto something that works really well, you, you know, you it it is um you can you can and I sometimes think this like you know, we've done this for, for nine years. What's the next thing? So we try a lot of different ways of, of innovating. Um, we look at um, a lot of data around content to see what performs well. Um, and, and and we use that as ideas. We run regular internal ideation sessions. We run pilot programs on new series all the time. Like I, I uh, spoke to some of our, our clients down in Melbourne last night. Yeah. And I, in preparing my speech, I was like, oh, we haven't really been that innovative. And then I wrote down all the new things that we've done. And it blew me away how how many different things that we've tried. Um, and now we're empowering some of the people in the team to run their own new series and they pitch me ideas. Um, you know, and that's been some of where some of our most successful stuff has come from is the people that join the business and we give them an open platform and we support them. You know, Patrick Patrick Polk, who um was with us for seven years, is one of the great success stories at Livewire. Like he was a reader commenting, we approached him. Tom went down, had a beer with him in Melbourne. And he became our first employee. Yeah. He was passionate about wanting to start a podcast and said, I need a microphone and this, that, the other. Here's the idea. But he got it all up himself. He had to get up and go. And and that thing's done close to 1.4 million downloads now. It's, it's a, you know, the following has been exceptional. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you, you give these people the opportunity to go and run their own shows and to pitch ideas. And if they don't work, you've got to be bold enough to say that didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not, we have you know when we do ideation sessions we say no such thing as a bad idea yeah bring them all yeah and so it's cut quickly if something doesn't mean because you get instant feedback from the from the readership probably even within yeah minutes, but series so. need time to build a following uh, you would find that with podcasting like the first one it's a bit of a trickle and then it grows over time but yeah I think you, as a point in time when you say how much are we energy are we putting into this and are we hitting the mark and our audience are pretty you can really tell when they're into it and you can also tell when they're not yeah. and so. You know, our, our goal with the platform is to have every piece of content perform as well as it possibly can. Um, we look at that data daily and, yeah, we, you know, we give people a long enough runway to see if it works, set the expectation, hey, we're going to review this in six months. But we also get them to write down what does success look like. Like you can't just kill, you know, you can't just kill something if you haven't set a hurdle rate for it. So, you know, setting, you know, defining success and then measuring it and then working out like, you know, trying a few things along the way, and yes. hey, if it doesn't get there, yeah. let's move on. So, I mean, I I did the course, uh, the design thinking course at Stanford about probably two years ago. I think it was now. Fa fa fascinating the whole idea of you know idea generation and building on things and sort of positive approaches to receiving ideas. I guess in some ways this podcast came out of that sort of thinking myself, like ex experimental. Um, but it's interesting, like sitting in in the fund management side of things and thinking about content. And, you know, when, when our business Platinum started, you know, 25, nearly 30 years ago, um, you know, mechanisms were very different. So we, and we still produce, a, a, you know, a hard copy quarterly report, which was avidly read by, by not just our own 
clients, but you know, I used to see them on the ferry all the time. And now you've got no idea what people are reading because they're they're buried in their um, you know smartphones. You hope that they're reading um, our quarterlies, but um, it's a competitive world for content. So maybe maybe it is the the platform which is the I guess is the winner in the end. So you talk about you know an in, two industries in decline as you saw them and putting them together. But maybe you, you sort of hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, <clears throat> content cha- tastes change. Yeah. Are always changing, and and you're often chasing the eyeballs to work out where they where they are and where they've gone. Um, we haven't tried to, doing too much stuff off our own platform, um, and and that's maybe where we need to innovate more. You know, we 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 find the podcasting platforms are great, and YouTube's great. I think during COVID, everyone became a you know one of the trends you saw was that everyone had to become a content creator, and you know, what was a trend already of, of people becoming self-publishers and, and content marketing and all that sort of stuff accelerated. Yeah. But content's hard yeah. and it's time consuming. Yeah. And in funds management, fund managers are good at running money. Yeah. They don't, there's few of them and there are a few out there that are great writers, yeah. um, but they don't love it. Yeah. And what I've observed is the volume of content has gone up, yeah. but the quality has gone down. Right. And I would hazard a guess if you sent your platinum subscribers a really well in written in-depth quarterly report as a, a nicely presented PDF document or whatever it is, and you you actually physically mail that to them, I reckon you'd get people saying that was awesome. Thank you. And we, and we still do. I think we, I think we sent, I think it's um, in the tens of thousands per quarter. So yeah. so we're still doing that. But I think what's what's interesting is it's definitely noisier out there than it was when, when we started. Yeah. So I mean, but, but, that's, but there's no point, doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that's you know that's a challenge that that we even face with content coming to the platform and 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 publishers wanting to put content up and it's really thin, yeah. and and so you have to apply you know we're, we're we're constantly having this struggle between content volume you know do we have do we need more volume or do you need less volume what's better for the reader, yeah. the conflict between quality and volume for growth because that's you know yeah. a lot of the platforms that have got lots of traffic yeah. they churn out heaps of content. And you can game Google with SEO and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about where the contents, you know, you've got to eat your vegetables. You know, you've got to put out your fixed income content. You've got to do your asset allocation. Like it's not, it's not 10 hot stocks. It's yeah. not going to run, you know. So I think it's, I think you've got to, at the end of the day, we bring it back to, is this good for investors? Yeah. That's, that's what we're trying to do, help them make better decisions. And right now, like as of today, like I'm putting, you know, the microscope over the content again, because I, I think that the quality slipped during COVID because yeah. people had to get Just volume. had to get it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and people stopped meeting people face to face, I think. So it became the only way they could reach the reach the audience. Yep. Yeah. So just on on that sort of like what is the as taste of change, what do you think the well, not the secret sauce is today? I mean, you've you've gone through various iterations. There's the deep there's a deep macro type content. There's the, the the stock tip type content. There's the yeah you know explanations of current events. It, 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 you say you have to eat your vegetables. Is it the blend of everything, or is there something that really sort of captures people's attention? Um, I, I think all of those topics can be written about in an, in an engaging manner. Yeah. I think, um, and this is you know a challenge that I think industry faces is that compliance has gone up. Yeah. So some of the personalities come out of the the content. Um, you know, back in the days, you had Charlie Aiken's morning note, you had Coppo in the afternoon and, and these characters around investing and people like hearing stories, right? And so the content that performs best is when you feel like the person is writing to you and, and, and connecting. Um, and so that's one ingredient is that personality. Yeah. Do I feel like this person's got a bit, bit of, bit of flavor to them? Yeah. Um, are they not just kind of a big corporate machine talking down to me? Yeah. 
Um, so I think that's that's an Im- important ingredient. I think combining theory with practice, you know, like that concept of I'm going to teach you how to fish, yes. but why not give them a few fish at the same time? Yeah. You know, yeah. like p- bringing the, the investment process to life with actionable ideas is um, is is an important combo. And people uh, people want to s- see the evidence behind your views. Yes. And that's something that's kind of dropped out a little bit from the content is that there's much more of these bloggy style posts with, without the real data that su- supports it. And so we see people that provide really, you know, provide some depth and uh, some of the data behind their argument or their research. Um, that that is is really effective, a really great way to reach people. Um, so that they're some of the they're some of the the, the sorts of um, trends that we look for. Cool. I'll think about that next time I'm creating content. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you know, we're filming this uh, or recording this, and um, from you know what we've we've talked about, um, you're going to have some exciting news for us in a couple of weeks. So I think what we'll do now is we'll, we'll press uh, pause for now, and we'll we'll come back when you've uh, got more to share with our listeners. Thanks, Doug. It's been good uh, good so far, and hopefully we can we can. Uh, put a cherry on the uh, on the podcast for you in a couple of weeks time excellent thank you very much so james we're back two weeks have passed have you got something for us oh good day doug good to be back thanks for having me back and sorry we couldn't talk about uh all our exciting news when we last caught up but yeah uh absolutely we've got a bit of news at livewire which we're really excited about um it's a it's a, a big piece of news for us and we think it's really exciting for what um, you know, it means for, for the business and for investors, the investors that we're trying to work with. So you're going to spill the beans? Yeah. Also, um, hopefully people would have seen some some news out there that Livewire has acquired a business called Market Index, which is the leading provider of free stock market data in the country. So they combine a bunch of data feeds from, you know, a range of providers, think ASX, Morningstar, S&P, um, really complex data sets around the market. Yeah. And They've built this beautiful website that just makes it really easy for people to understand, and it has incredible depth. Um, and I, I often describe it, um, you know, people want the simple or the natural look when they talk about makeup or whatever it might be, and my wife tells me that getting the natural look is the hardest one to get. I think it's the same with spreadsheets and data. You know, people see data presented on a page and they say, I just want it to be simple. I just want it to be easy. Speak to anyone that works in that industry or with data and they say making it simple and easy to understand is the hardest thing to do. And Matt Gabriel, who's the founder of Market Index, um, someone we've been getting to know for the past 12 months or so, but we've admired his business for a long time because he does such a, a great job at making the complex simple. And that's his mission, take out the fluff. So he's come at, he's trying to solve a very similar sort of mission to the one that we are at Livewire, which is just helping investors make better decisions. Um, it's as simple as that. We've come at it from providing insights from Australia's best investors. Think Platinum Asset Management comes to front of mind right now, but others, Paradise, Wilson Asset Management, Simon Mawinney at, at Alan Gray, those sorts of names, um, sharing their analysis and thoughts on the market. He comes at it from providing the data. So what this deal does is a couple of things. Uh, it makes us the largest independent provider of financial markets information in the country, which is huge, 700,000 monthly active users visiting our website database, nearly 200,000 people on daily emails. Um, and we think over time we can push that audience to in excess of a, a million monthly active users. So we're really excited about the scale opportunity from an audience perspective. Um, for investors, what they're getting is that insight. So the, quali- the quant- uh, qualitative information combined with the data, quantitative. And, and from day one, 
the two websites will operate independently, but over time, we think combining those two things is going to be incredibly powerful. Excellent. So very, very exciting for you. I mean, we, we, we've, we, in the first part of the episode, we, we covered your journey this far. I mean, this is a springboard, presumably for the next five, 10, 10 years for LiveWire. Yeah, I think I, I'm, after being 10 years at building something, there's moments where you get kind of that, that startup kick again. Yeah. And I've got that now. Like this is really exciting. I think part of it's because we 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 really admire what Matthew's done. He's going to be joining Tom and me as a co-founder of Livewire, so he's coming on board. He's going to be a large shareholder in the business, and he and he's on board for the for the long term. Um, I think the size of the addressable market that this opens up for us is incredibly exciting. So that's exciting to me about knowing you can grow it. Yes, and I think about the sort of what we can provide for investors in terms of something that really makes a difference to how they get their information about investing is yeah it's very exciting for sure so so we touched on for you know you you as a founder it's very i mean fascinates me that you're you're calling math matthew a, a co-founder as well which sort of maybe gives us a sense that we are still at the beginning yeah well tom so uh i, I guess the first thing to say is you know um i'm here chatting with you now but tom mckay my business partner uh and, and co-founder has been um incredible throughout this process um, and, and and really led the charge. So I need to do a big tip of the hat to Tom. He's really good at this sort of stuff. Well done, Tom. Um, but Tom and I, for 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 um, you know, we're quite similar in a yep. lot of ways. You know, personality is different. This, that, the other. But um, you know, neither of us are particularly technical. We're we're good at relationships. Um, we understand the content. Tom's very good at at sales and strategy. But Matt is incredible with product and growth. And you know, we've we've come up with this kind of the words side of things. He's done the numbers. And I describe him as the missing founder. You know, I kind of yeah, feel like okay. we found our man. So um, that's, yeah, that's really exciting. And I think obviously a, a big question that we had from people with interest in Livewire was, you know, does this guy stick around? Like, is it, you know, he's obviously really integral. And and that's the exciting part for us is that Matt's keen to get on board with the journey. And that was actually a really important part of how we were able to bring the two businesses together was aligned vision. So Matt, Matt had been... You know, there were other businesses out there that liked what he was doing and we were able to, you know, advance things to where we got because he had had that shared vision and he wasn't done. You know, he's he he wants to keep going um, and I think Tom and I are going to be able to frame up to to keep going on that product side where he's got incredible talent. And I think that's one of one of the things in um, in anything, whether it's a small team or in, in your case, a, a larger business, just, just finding that gap, like someone who's missing. I think too many people rush in and hire someone who looks like themselves when actually you need to find someone who is is complementary. So hopefully um, that's been a, a very wise choice. Yeah, I'm, as I said, really excited about it, not without its challenges. You know, you've got to bring two businesses together. Neither Tom or I have done that before. So, you know, we're just going to, it's going to be a roll the sleeves up type moment and, and we'll learn and get to make a few mistakes again. But, uh, you know, we're up for it. Excellent. Well, look, as we head forward towards 2023, I want to wish, uh, I guess, you, Tom and Matt, all the best for your for your future success. And it's uh, great to have such an exciting story to share today. Oh, great to be able to share it. I'm very excited to be able to share it. And thanks for having me on the show. Great. Good stuff. Thanks, James. Thanks for listening to the Investing for Life podcast. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and share with your friends. For show notes from today's conversation, head to platinum.com.au.